Hey everyone, welcome back to the show. I'm Meg LaFauve. And I'm Lorian McKenna. And today we're going to be doing one of our favorite things, answering your questions on the show. We pulled these questions from two places, our Facebook group and our email. Um, so if you have questions for our next Q&A, please send them to our email at thescreenwritinglife at gmail.com. Our Facebook group is a great place to find more community. So if you haven't joined, we'd love to see you over there. And check out our Patreon where Lauren and I host workshops once or twice a month. In addition, we are super excited to let everyone know that we will be hosting our annual TSL party at the Austin Film Festival this year. This year, we are partnering with Final Draft and there's gonna be swag and giveaways and us hanging out with you and all your fellow writers. So we hope to see you there. Yay. Yeah. Oh, yay. Sorry. Yay. <laughs> <laughs> yay. Um, but now let's talk about our weeks or what we like to call adventures in screenwriting. Lorian, how was your week? In a startling change of pace, I had a pretty good week. Dun, dun, dun. Dun, dun, dun. So on Monday, I did a workshop for some writer friends and um, it was really great. And at the end of it, it was sort of like we wanted to keep uh, writing together. And at the end of every workshop, I always get asked, like, how do I continue this? Like, how do I take all this discovery writing that I did and actually turn it into a script? And my answer is, you know, I have all kinds of answers and strategies, but, you know, the answer is write, try, try something, try anything. Um, but at the end of it, we decided that we would continue to meet. So one of the women in the group put together like a library's hour twice a week. And I showed up on, I think it was Wednesday and I wrote for my two and a half hours and I wrote a half of a play that I've been half rattling around in my head and I've never sat down to do. And uh, it was great. Yesterday I started writing poetry and I have something I haven't done in a really, really long time. Um, but what was really great about it is, you know, in screenwriting and TV writing, there are so many rules that can feel like you can get really burdened by them and really sort of overwhelmed by the rules and the expectations and how things are should be. And I find with short story writing and playwriting and um, poetry, well, short story writing, because I don't know what the rules are. Um, with playwriting though, I feel like uh, I have this freedom to sort of do whatever I want um, and that I get to make up the rules as I go along um, and then, yes, I have to rewrite it and put it in a structure, but I do feel like I'm kind of the boss of the the play that I'm writing in a way that I still feel a little bit like I'm, what are the rules around screenwriting? So what's really great about it is that I write right into my lava. And my lava is not a volcano. My, my lava is like the darkest ocean at the darkest night, right? So I feel like these characters are sort of like crawling up out of the ocean and gasping for air and I get to come down to the shore and sit down next to them and hear their story um, just right there. And so I feel like I'm just documenting the story they're telling me and that they're showing me. And it just feels, it doesn't feel dangerous, but it's, I don't know, there's just something really, I feel really connected to myself when I'm writing in that space. And so I wrote half the play and I'm gonna finish it today. Um, of course, I'll have to rewrite it and figure out what it is and everything. But it's the kind of writing that I can do that allows me to bring some of that back with me to my screenwriting so that I feel like, oh, I get to make up the rules here, too. 
I don't have to be bound by all these things because I'm always going to rewrite it. I'm always going to find the structure. I'm always going to figure out, oh, what the engine is and all that stuff. But it's a reminder that that the rules are there as a guide at the beginning or not at all. But at the beginning, I have to be able to connect to that piece. I have to be able to walk down to that ocean at the in the middle of the night and sit down next to a character or hold their hand or pull them out of the shore to hear the story. Um, otherwise, then I feel like I'm just, I lose my voice. There it is. It's my voice. So I feel like I really reconnected to my voice this week. And then surprisingly, and in a shock to everyone, I had a really good week with, uh, you know, with getting work done, other work done in my life, or my relationship with my daughter, my relationship with my husband. I was, and I was able to pull up out of the re- re- um, reacting emotionally to everybody because I was digging into my voice in the writing where I got to react, all of my emotional junk was in the writing as opposed to spewing it out all over the place. So it's just a constant reminder that I have to write and I want to write, right? Which is the other powerful piece of it. So I had a good week and I'm trying to hold on to it. Uh, I had a rough morning this morning, but I'm trying to recover. Um, But I do, we've talked about this before, sometimes writing in a medium where you don't understand the rules or a genre where you don't understand the rules can be a way to connect to your voice um, because you, it's the only thing you have to hold on to, right? It's you don't have reminder, the rules. It's also a great reminder to that writing sometimes isn't an option that you can do or not do. Because if, and I, I, I have a friend who's a painter and it's exactly the same for her. If she's not painting, you know, it starts to come out all over the place. Uh, all that angst or stress or lava or joy or whatever it's it's flying around versus put it in the work and i think it's such great advice Lorian, that you don't have to feel all that onus and pressure of it has to be a screenplay it has to be a pilot it has to be sold la 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 no you could just write a silly play or a dark mm-hmm. play or a short story or whatever just to that it, it it's not like a limited resource that if I gave it to that play or I gave it to that short story, I now won't have anything to give back to my writing. It's so it's such a wonderful idea that no, you've got more. You'll get more. Yeah. It opens it up so that I can write, you know, when I write it's all dialogue and a lot of it's subtext. And it's like weird, spooky 90s kind of theater situation, right? Where it could <laughs> easily be some weird performance art where everyone's wearing like a nude leotard climbing in and out of back. <laughs> Like it could easily be that. But for me, that just goes to some like ancient place for me, you know, and uh, I mean, it's not going to be that. But, you know, I will take that and turn it into something with that's outside the subtext. But I get but I get to write the subtext, you know, and and uh, it's just uh, it's really, really fun. I feel so excited about it. And I was like, I went and I read some plays that I love, like I read some Pinter. You know, I was just like, let's do this. Let's dig into the weird, you know, and it just it reminds me how much I love theater and how much I love playwriting and how that's how I got my start and that I can go back to that anytime I want. And that doesn't mean that I'm not also writing TV and movies. Right. I don't have it's just a reminder to go back to where I started, be a beginner, you know, or or where do I feel the most comfortable, which kind of exists in the same place in the theater for me and and go from there. So those, I don't know, it's a good reminder. Yeah. And, you know, just writing. So I have another, we have another library hours today after this, and that's where I'm going to finish the play. So, and it's a short play. Like I didn't write 40 pages in two and a half hours. It's a short one act, like 
30 minutes. Like it's fine. <laughs> Don't feel like you're going to be able to, that I did something, some amazing feat that everybody else hasn't been able to do. But so that's just for the audience. Like I didn't just spit out half of a play. It was, a, it was 15 pages, you guys. So, um, anyway, Meg, Meg, how was your week? Uh, my week. Well, Jeff, do you want to share this week? Did you have something to share? I can keep it quick. I, I've, it's just been interesting. I want to just share in case any writers can identify with this. And Lori, thanks for sharing too. I like loved hearing about your week. The image of your lava being like a dark ocean on a dark night as your characters are kind of like crawling out, gasping for breath is so evocative. I'm like very inspired by that. Um, I'm just working on a vomit draft right now. And it's an interesting emotional journey for me because I feel like I have important like poles in the building of the tent of the story that I know are like meaningful scenes that brought me to the page in the first place. And I can see how and why they're important character moments that are like arcing towards what I need the protagonist to do. But in between them, I feel like I'm just like stitching bamboo and wallpaper and like macaroni paste to get to these (laughs) poles that feel at least for now, like something I can anchor myself to narratively. And it's it's hard to push through that just because it represents like your least powerful self as a writer and an artist. And it can feel scary when you're like just spackling up the macaroni paint to get to that next pole to build the thing. Uh, but that's what I'm doing right now. And I'm just letting it be kind of scary. And I need to just get to fade out or however, cut to black, however I'm going to end it. And then go back and actually figure out what terrible tent I made. Um, okay. I have a perspective shift for you. Okay. So we talk about when we write like Bomba Draft's first draft that we're going to go back in and fix it. So fixing something assumes that it was working and doing its purpose in the first place. Hmm. Like a toaster, a toaster, you buy a toaster, it makes toast. It works. When the toaster breaks, then you fix it. So you're still building the toaster. So what you're trying to do is figure out what's working, what you love. So when you finish it, print it out and get a red pen and circle and indicate the things you love. What do you love? And that's going to tell you a story. If all the things you love have nothing to do with the main character relationship, well, that's something you need to work on. If all the things you love are when your voice comes through, that's great. You need to focus on, you can do this as an exercise, focus on what you love. What, because that will also show you where maybe this whole, these whole 20 pages you don't love. So how can you bring them up to reach the level of what you love? This is something I'm trying to do, which is um, we always speak very negatively about, I have to fix it. It's broken. This isn't working. Just immediately when you write a rough draft, like the first vomit draft, what do you love? And then you can dive back in with a sense of like, there are parts of this I love and whether you keep them in, but you're going to protect the integrity of what that scene is. They talked about the poles. Mm -hmm. Why do you love them? Right. Why do you love your character? Why do you love the movement and the choices? And it's going to highlight what's what needs to be brought up to the level of something that you love. Right. You're building the toaster. That's so good. I love the idea that like we're we haven't made anything yet. So it can't be broken. We're we're still building. It can't be broken. You're exploring. You're making yeah. a play, whatever metaphor you want. And just if this yes. helps you, this is literally the process of uh, when we worked at Pixar. Yeah. I mean, it's not like the, you know, there's geniuses out there who aren't spackling and putting up wallpaper trying to get between poles. I mean, that is 
what you do. I mean, it's we'll just get there. Practice. It, because yes. and then you're, you hope at Pixar, they have the, the great benefit of then they have a brain trust to tell you that worked. That made us laugh that there she is right there. There she is. The rest of that. I don't know what that is. Like it, <laughs> yes. it, they do that first with you, which it's helpful, you know, to have outside, but you can do it yourself and just say what you love. And you might find out everything I love has nothing to do with these polls. Mm-hmm. And that's going to be maybe a hard day. Cause you realize I've been writing towards something that isn't even what I ultimately want to write about, but that better to know soon, better right. to know now. And yes. when you're reading it and figuring out what you love, you're going to see all the things that make you go, <laughs> no, you're not, don't write them down. They're not going anywhere. You're focusing on what you love, not what works, not what makes sense, what you love. Mm. What that you is think, so good. oh, that's so good, right? We never get to do that with our work. We're not encouraged to do that. So it's okay. You have our blessing to do that. Oh, right. This is what Go I needed. What you love about <laughs> your work. Print it out, get a pen and do it. And it it, it makes it feel like there is some really, really good fucking shit in the script. And yeah. I did this. And and you just and then you start answering the big questions based on what I love. What is the tone yes. that I love? What is this? What genre is this? Because right. I thought it was a thriller, but everything I love is funny. Maybe I'm actually not even writing a thriller or I'm writing a, a funny thriller. Like because what I love is this tone, is this mm-hmm. genre, is this relationship, is this main character, by the way, which happens sometimes. All this shit I love is not even about my main character. Be brave. What's the version without the, the main character? Yeah. Because if you love it, we'll love it. Yeah. That's, that's just how it goes. Yeah. And I guess my week is kind of hand in hand with this and very similar in that, you know, I'm writing an outline and I have a partner who's my husband, Joe Forte. And he, you know, he did... We, we did it all together verbally and then I wrote and then he rewrote it. And now he's throwing it back to me and we're just chunking it out together. Right. And um, I got to this section and I was like, I am not dying to write this scene. I, I, I don't feel anything about this. And I learned from working in animation, you know, when you hand a scene to an artist to draw, you can tell by their face if they're excited to draw it or not. You know, they're very, you know, they're, they're kind and they're not going to be like, yeah, this sucks, but you Actually, can tell how they look at the paper, how they turn their body, how quickly they get out of the room. Like, yeah, it's like they don't want to draw this. This yeah. is not fun. You know, th- that as a writer for animation, you want to hand over pages. They are so excited and they are chomping at the bit. They can't wait to draw it and they just want to talk about it. And they're so excited. And I really feel like even somehow time and outline stage, my, because I've done this so much, I intuitively know, wait a minute, wait a minute. I am not chomping at the bit to write this. Like I should, it should be so compelling, so tense, so dramatic, so fun that any writer I handed it to would want to write that scene. Not just me, anybody would want to write that scene, you know, and I just, (laughs) there's just one section and I'm like, wow, this is just a lot of clumping along you know, so, you know, now I'm at the point of, okay, well, what do I need? Like, can I right now just take a pause and be like, what do I need for this scene to feel like, or these scenes or this parts of the act or whatever to feel like I really can't wait to write them? You know, is it a bigger issue? Like this whole world isn't working. Like it could be really big. It could be, wait a minute, this whole world is not giving me what I need. Or is it just the situation in this particular thing is boring? Like, 
instead of an empty lot, it needs to be a local carnival or like it, the, 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 the situation is boring. So the drama is just doesn't have anything to bounce up against or or have fun with. Or and I think this is what it is, because I think this is usually what it is. There's just not enough conflict. There's not enough want. There's not enough drive. There's not enough stuff that's going to clash and be juicy and fun to write. It's a lot of information dump. It's a lot of exposition. It's trying to get me from A to to D. And it, so it's laying out these stones. But I've written enough that I know you can't just lay out the stone. Like it still has to be spicy. And why is this scene in the movie? And will actors love this scene to write it? And I'm just, I'm trying different things. I'm changing the location. I'm trying to do the smaller things first to see if, oh no, that's all it was. I don't need to, you know, blow up this whole thing. Um, but we might need to, we might need to blow it up because I can already tell I'm not dying to write it. Um, so that's kind of the same thing, but in an earlier stage than where you are, Jeff, I, I can start to sense that in outline. And I'm not saying everybody has to do that in outline. If you just need to get your outline done because you want to go to barf draft or whatever, that's totally fine. This is just where my brain is going right now. I can already, I can already sense that oh I'm not dying to write this and you know honestly if it's like a tv show and you're just starting to big chunk out the big episodes if there's an episode that you're not dying to write <laughs> maybe that's not the right episode or maybe it's gone off track or whatever so um it's kind of all within the same soup there um but let's get I think this, oh go ahead yeah I think this first question is very similar in line with the what we're talking go about here go for it so Casey asks, you all have given amazing advice on how to tackle studio and reader notes, but I'm wondering about your process before you send out your work. How do you get to a point where you think something is ready to share? And then this is the part where we get a little compliment. Thanks so much for all you do. I'm not exaggerating when I say this community has changed my life. Thank you so much. Thank and I think it's fair to you. say that this podcast has and this community has changed all of our lives as well. Yeah. What we get back from this community is really powerful. So I think the answer to your question is when you love it, we talk about that in terms of when you can defend it. But I think that comes from a place of you have a reason for everything being in that script and you love it. And so when you send it out, you're saying, this is a script I wrote that I love. And when someone comes back and says, um, I have a question about this part, you love it. So you're prepared to get those kinds of notes, that it's not going to dismantle your identity as a writer. It's not going to invalidate you. You're just getting confirmation about what someone else thinks is working or not. I can also say, though, it can feel intimidating I think unconsciously, sometimes our brains don't want us to love it when we send it out so that we are prepared for yes. the notes in some way. Like, I'm not handing you my, I know that. Like, I don't love it either. Like, it's okay. Like, you could just tell me. Like, I find this defensive reaction of um, when I love it, it's even harder to get the notes because I love it. And why don't, why don't you love my baby? Like, this baby is the most beautiful amazing baby and by the way that happens with real in real life when people show you their babies and they're so like in love with it and you're like that is not a good looking baby but no. that just happens so i do think it can be intimidating um to to love it but it is the best thing to do because it is does mean you're attached to it it's like an oxymoron we're asking you to be emotionally attached to your work and then detach from it when you get well, the notes and this is part of the process of being an artist you are an artist you're giving your work it better be your artistic expression so that the notes go towards what you want, that you're getting it as close as you can 
so that the notes are feeding that versus some other thing that's not even your movie or your TV show because you didn't make it clear enough in your love and heart and everything that you put into it. So I do think when I'm able to defend it because I love it, you know, now when you're out in the a pro writer, all kinds of other things start to happen. Like, well, I love that you love it, but that's not the show we bought or that's not, our, you know, the, the head of the studio changed and now they don't want that show. Can you make it a different show? Like the math of taking notes and and what you hand in is much more complicated. Um, but even then, even then, and Lori and I did a project once where we did turn in something that we didn't love because of the earlier notes we got. And it was so, <laughs> I would mm. never do that again because no. God help you if they like it. <laughs> like yep. it was the worst feeling. I would rather have them pass and hate it, but I loved it and you don't like it. So it's okay. Versus I'm doing everything everybody else is telling me to do and what should be in there and what will sell and what people want, but I don't even love it that much. But what God help you, that goes out with your name on it, right? Like it, it's it's a tricky thing, but so I think it really well, is you, what you love. You, you can't let the notes or the feedback, you can be emotionally attached to the work, but not emotionally attached to the feedback in terms of it disrupts your identity as a writer. We let the notes drive us in a way because we weren't sure. You know, I also think that there is time. It depends on who you're giving it to when you're giving it in terms of this question. I have readers that I know can read a draft I know doesn't work. And those are the readers I can give something to that doesn't work. And I will say to them, I know this doesn't work. And I've seen people do this at Pixar, by the way, at full screenings where they stand up before the screening and they say, we know this doesn't work. We know there's problems. We are, we get it. We're coming to you for these, you know, so this is just a normal part of the creative process. You you have those close people that you literally say, I know this doesn't work, but it has something in it that I love so much. And I just want to talk it out. I just want to talk it out with somebody. And that person can't wait to spitball with you, right? Then there's another level and you just, your levels get harder and harder and harder. And each time there has to be something about it you love, I think. Otherwise, why are you giving it to somebody? But, you know, as you go up the food chain of, you know, I, what I'm going to give to my manager, I can still have things that I know don't work that I want feedback from, but pretty much it's what I want it to be, right? And I'm really looking for his tough feedback about, you know, what buyers are going to say or what, you know, th then I'm really looking for, I have to be really ready to defend what I'm doing and why I love it. Because he's my manager and his job is to help me do what I want to do creatively and put in the world. So I have to be able to start articulating that with him or he's not going to know even how to help me, right? Because otherwise you're going to get all crazy stuff out from outside of you. And then when you're going, of course, into the studio or the person who bought it or the person who might buy it, now it really has to have gone through a lot of rigor, a lot of drafts so that you do love it, but also the craft and the articulation and the communication is clear. Like they know what it is. I get that. They might want to not still not want to buy it, but they get it, Right. They get what you did. They appreciate what you did. So there's different levels to to the, to answer this question. But in all of them is Lorian's answer, which is you have to know, be attached to it emotionally and love it. All right. So this next one, I want to hear Meg. I want to hear your take on this one. This is from Daniel. 
You mentioned in one of your posts on Facebook that centering on a character's transformative journey is one way to write a story. That made me very happy as sometimes my leads don't really come to Jesus or understand that family is X, Y, Z. Sometimes they're shitty at the beginning and shitty at the end. It's just the cost of the shittiness that I'm interested in. So what are some other categories for characters' journeys? Where can I read more about this to justify my lively and interesting leads that don't transform? Well, in terms of justifying them, I would have 10 movies ready, five movies ready that made a lot of money or won Academy Awards and have the same kind of character. Like, that's your job. You have to go figure that out. You have to know what you're doing. You have, And if the movie didn't make money or win awards, don't use it because they will use it for why you're wrong. Okay. So that's the first thing, just, just to be really blatantly, you know, functional about it. Um, the other thing is, you're saying that they're shitty at the beginning and shitty at the end, but they kind of, you know, have, uh, there's a cost to pay. So immediately my brain is, so are you writing a tragedy? Now yeah. tragedies are completely different, right? The, the whole reason it is a tragedy is because they don't transform. That is what's tragic about it. So then that's a complete, that's as old as the Hills, you know, form of, of drama. Um, that I, you could completely defend. If you say to somebody, it's a tragedy, they should immediately go, oh. Now, if they're not getting it's a tragedy, then my question is, why aren't they getting it's a tragedy? Maybe you're not making it tragic enough. Maybe you're not beating them up enough. Maybe you're not making that cost high enough. So I'm like, well, he was shitty and he gets to stay shitty and he stubbed his toe, but who cares? What's your point? Now, maybe your point is there's shitty people in the world, right? Is it slice of life, Okay. I can't tell you much about Slife of Life because I don't write them. I don't watch them. I don't know it. But if you say to me, I'm doing a slice of life about a really shitty person. Here's some movies that are slice of life to give you a sense of what I'm doing. That's okay. Okay, cool. That you're doing slice of life. I, I want some comps. So I understand uh, what you're doing. Um, and the other thing is, you know, if you're not talking just in terms of other people who are listening you, you might be talking about, and I don't think you are if it's a shitty character, but the other type of character is a claiming, what I just call this, this is not official anywhere. This is just how I use it in my brain. It, you know, I think of it as a claiming character, somebody who starts right and ends right, right? They are right. Moana is right. She does need to go and, you know, her I want song, she does need to get off the island um, and she does have a calling. You know, her I want song is, but I'm so full of doubt and what if, and but she's right what she's singing about. Um, and she's right at the end. She did need to go do this. And her her people do need to get off the island. It was the how that she had wrong. She didn't understand how powerful she was. So these claiming characters often don't understand just how powerful they are and how much they're going to change the world. Right now, the third and last thing I'll say is there are characters who don't change. Um, look at the character in Taken. Look at uh, Aaron Brockovich. They start the way they start and they end the way they start. They have teeny tiny arcs kind of maybe in the how they do things. But again, they're generally right. Um, but I will say to you, and a lot of indie films have characters that don't change. But if you look around them, they have completely altered the world. So there is a transformation happening because they are transforming the entire world around them. And that's what you can see and feel, right? Or um, if you think of um, what's life's a box of chocolate? Oh my gosh. Forrest Gump. Forrest Gump is Forrest Gump is Forrest Gump. But he, just like in the character in being there, he changes everybody he meets dramatically. 
right? So there is transformation happening. It's just the world and not the character. So those are some examples of um, of things that hopefully that'll help you. Yeah, I think look at Shakespeare, the, the really shitty characters who have very big shitty consequences in his tragedies. You know, the Scottish play, Hamlet, Othello. Like look at some of these, Shakespeare, I think was the master of this in a lot of ways. Um, so yeah, of, of the cost of being shitty. And if you really look at them just as story math, they are constantly choosing the wrong choice. And even if they choose the right choice and start to go to the right direction, then they make a dramatic choice back because they cannot let go of what fuels their shittiness. Yep. If that is vengeance, if that is, you know, they want, um, you know, if that is just hurt and vulnerability, you killed my father, whatever that is, they can't let it go. And that's what, so I would be thinking about what fuels that shittiness because that's what I'm going to really emotionally attach to in one way relate to it, but in the other way, watch it go way further, right? Then then maybe we would have gone. It's like resistance to the transformation. It's claiming on the to the negative, right? It's holding on to that thing and then resistance to the transformation. Like they get close to it. Yeah. And then they, they cannot. And there's it. all kinds of different opportunities given to them to see clearly and they're causing tragedies all around them because they won't do it. So if I was going to write a tragedy, I would go watch both film and read the place to see how do you not just flatline through act two? Because it's just, how does it not get repetitive? How is Shakespeare upping and upping and upping and evolving it so that it's not, you know, the same thing over and over. And that's just going to be, that would be so fun to, to figure out that story math. Can I quickly yeah. mention an episode that I think might be helpful for um, we actually talked about this a lot in the Jill Chamberlain episode. And I came into that episode with the preconceived notion that tragedies were always sad. Um, you know, you picture like a dramatic score, like the Godfather, but she mentioned a lot of specific genres that are tragic in their story math, but they can be really funny. I just rewatched up in the air, which I think is a great movie. That's mostly kind of a rom-com, but it ends on a sort of sadly tragic note about the nature of the character's static nature. So um, I think if you want to be illuminated as to what tragedy really means, that's a good episode to go listen to. Awesome. Our next question is about surviving writing. And Tamia asks, can we hear more about Lorian's journey as a writer with ADHD? I am so comforted seeing the, the space that was created for writers to discuss their struggles. Well, I'm having a very big ADHD today, day, today, as you can tell by how fast I'm talking and that I'm missing letters in what I'm trying to say. Um, I think it's a day-to-day -day thing and being as self-aware as I can be. Uh, this morning, I sent a slew of emails to the TSL group, rewriting, revising, no, wait, this, no, wait, oh my God, overwriting, overthinking. And I had to get to the point, you know, I was just getting responses like, I don't understand Let's talk about this later, right? So really being aware of how people are responding to you really helps. And then I had to, oh, okay, I'm going too fast, but I'm not going fast in a healthy, productive way. My brain's just spinning. Um, and so what that do you means- do when that happens? Like if, let's say you were writing. Means, yeah, that means for me, I need to go have another cup of coffee. Coffee calms my brain down. I, I know that, 
coffee wakes people up and then they can't sleep, but I could actually take a nap after I drink a cup of coffee. It slows my brain down so that I can take a breath. And right before we started recording this episode, I had to go play a song. I had to go play I Want to Break Free by Queen and close my eyes and sing and dance to it because I had to get back into my body. I had lost, you know, we writers, a lot of us are always in our heads. And then when you have uh, ADHD or you're not neurotypical, you get very lost in there. And there's like thousands of ideas going and, and stuff. So for me, it's about getting back into my body. And that means getting up, moving around. And I love that song. And I sing that song. And while I'm singing it, of course, I have many ideas, but I can focus on only one or two of them at a time when I'm dancing and singing, as opposed to the 30 I usually have swimming around. And when I'm writing, if I can get, if I can start writing and sink into the place I need to go, I can hyper-focus on it and keep going. The trick is when someone interrupts me when I'm not done, it's how to peel myself away and out of it and notice that they're there and they want me. And again, that's about being back in my body. I have to say, hold on just a minute and push away from my desk and stand up and move away from my computer so that I am away from the writing zone. And I really have to communicate what I need, which is give me a minute. And then I have to shake or, you know, shake it off so I can get back. It's this connection between my brain and the body that I'm really, really working on. And it's more than just taking a walk or exercising anymore. It's in the moment, recognizing when I'm losing uh, the me and I'm succumbing to the ADHD. And I take medication. And I am in therapy specifically for this in a lot of ways. Um, I don't think there's a cure. (laughs) So this is how I'm managing it. Um, And um, it spikes in weird times for me. Like I'm not always expecting it, uh, but I have to pay attention to how people are responding to me in a lot of ways. And that when I get like I was getting this morning, I have to make a really conscious decision not to send any more emails to anyone. Don't answer the phone. Don't, to laugh. Don't text Don't anyone. Text it's anyone. really hard because all I want to do is talk and talk and talk and communicate and send emails. And oh my God, I had this thought. I had this thought, but I have to like, shh. Right. And so it helps that I've let a lot of people know that I have ADHD. And so then when I can get those very clear messages from Meg. Meg, you're like, I'm confused. Let's talk about this after the show. And I'm like, okay. And I reread the email I sent you. I'm like, I understand it. But clearly (laughs) I left out some big pieces, right? Um, It is a constant struggle. Um, And one thing I've done too is I did this on the Facebook group too. It was a sort of survival moment for me. I have a list, right? Everyone's like, make a list, check things off the list. And I'm like, I can only have a certain amount of things on the list. But I was like, what if I make a list of two things? One is a writing thing and one is a non-writing thing. So I made a list of two things and I physically wrote it down on a piece of paper, write for 10 minutes about what I love about my character and then fill out my healthcare forms. And I did those two things and I felt this, and I discovered in those writing for 10 minutes, I figured out the engine of my show. I figured out the main character relationship because I... I knew I only had to do two things. So I was allowed to focus on the writing. And so I got to sink into it. When I have too many things, I can't start writing. That, right? So then I did the healthcare forms, which took a long ass time. It was very complicated. 
but I knew I'd already written that day, even if it was just for 10 minutes. And I felt like I can have the space to do this because I checked off a vital part of my day. And then at like three, I was done. And I thought I could put two more things on my list. Right. And that is how I got through the day. Just two things at a time. And I made sure one is creative and one is not businessy because that those lists, the schedules, all that stuff, they tell us ADHDers or neurodiverse people to manage our time. Like that's really hard. Make a meal plan. Fuck you and your meal plan. I don't know how to make a meal plan. What the hell are you talking about? I will spend a full 24 hours working on a meal plan. Like that is a waste of my time. You know, I will sink so far into it and become obsessed. So it's about managing it. And for me, little bite-sized pieces and paying attention to people's reaction around me and uh, getting in my body as much as I can. That's why showers are really good for me because I... I am, it's all just how the water feels on my whole body, right? So I, I have like sensory stuff going on. Um, it's all really good advice. That's yeah. great. So welcome to my brain, everybody. Thank you for allowing me to monologue about that. It was very satisfying. Um, if I scared anyone, I'm sorry. I do have self-control and I did have another cup of coffee. So I have showed up as much as I can right now. <laughs> okay, good. All right, next question. Gail asks, the issue of don't seek approval. It's a tough one, right? You need a manager or an agent or some kind of advocate for you. Hence, why agents, managers, advocates won't even read things that don't come to them as referrals. How do you manage that? How do you manage expectations about approval when we really want and need it on the lot on a lot of levels to function and move ahead? It's a tricky question. Because yes and no, is my answer. Um, eight, let me just say agents, and I say this with love, and I would I would say this to my agent, uh, they're really about deal making. Really, they're really about going and finding a job, making a deal, get, getting you the best possible deal that they can get you. I'm not saying they're not career um, shapers. Of course they are. But they are really not there to give you approval. I, I would not go to an agent for approval. I think it's almost even dangerous. Uh, it's too much power to give them. Uh, managers, I find that's a little bit more. I do sometimes catch myself looking for approval, but even there, because they, they do read more, they give notes, they do more kind of intimate, detail-y career stuff. But even there, you're the leader of your career. You're the artist. They are there to service you. It's not the reverse. You are not looking for a manager, an agent to give you approval, to say you're doing a good job. They are there to tell you this will be tough in the marketplace right now. So either let's do this one first, or we're going to be really strategic about how we package this. Or in other words, they take what you give them and figure out the strategy to get it sold or set up or to match you with people that they think you as an artist will match well with, right? What you do well, this person is looking for. They don't, they can't do any of that work if you don't come to them as an artist who you are. In a weird way, you asking for approval, I believe will shake them up and be like, wait, what? What? No, I don't, no, no, no. You are the one I'm selling you. If you're looking for approval from everybody I send you out on every meeting, 
That ain't going to work. You have to, I'm sending you out to walk into a room and be like, here I am. This is what I think about your project. This is what I would do with it. This is what I fucking love about it. This is what I think, unfortunately, doesn't work. Take, do you want to do that or not? I'm not going into a meeting saying, well, what do you guys think is wrong with it? And and what do you guys want? You will eventually get there, but that is not how you're walking into a room. So I don't ever want to, and I sometimes you do because you're human, but I don't ever want to look for approval from my agent or manager. I think that's dangerous for your insides. I go to them as tools. The people I'm looking for approval from is first on myself. Like what Lauren said, do I fucking love it? Like if you don't have that, I don't know. There's no other place to go. You have to write until you fucking love it or at least love part of it or at least have some inkling of what you love and why you're doing it because you've got a scene and you're like, it's that scene. Okay, great. And then again, it's like layers of getting feedback from people. So I do have people in my inner circle that I don't know if it's approval, but I get um, confirmation. Confirmation. Yeah. Talk about that, Lauren. Talk about the difference. So this comes from my therapist who explained to me the difference between validation and confirmation. So kids want validation, right? We validate them. We validate their choices in order, you know, positive reinforcement, right? So we need that as kids, as teens. And then when we have a healthy sense of self, we need confirmation. So that's the difference of I'm sending you my script and I'm not looking for you to tell me I'm not going to get my identity doesn't depend on you think I'm a writer. You're not validating me as a writer. You're not validating my script. It's confirmation. And it's your opinion, right? Now, I value Meg's opinion. So when I send her work and she has nice things to say about it or notes, I value that. And then I get to decide what notes I take. And yes, we all want validation. For Meg to say, I love this part. Oh, that feels good. Doesn't that feel good, right? But then also... I have questions about this. It's confirmation that she's read it and that there's something going on here that's not quite working for her. So then I can decide whether or not I'm going to take her note and go fix it, right? If I wear an outfit and um, I say, what do you think? And you say, Ugh, I don't like it. I can either listen to that or not. I, it's your. You can confirm that you like it too, or you can confirm that you don't like it, but it doesn't uh, dismantle who I am and that I'm going to wear this outfit. It's your opinion, right? And even when you go to somebody, like if you come to me for notes, I'm going to ask you a lot of questions because I don't, I'm not going to tell you what your story is. I can't, a lot of responsibility I, to give somebody have, else. Yeah. yeah. I want you to say when I'm giving you notes, okay, okay. I get that. I get that. I see what you're saying. And then even repeat it back. So I know you really got to go, okay, but here's what I was trying to do. Or here's what I fucking love about this. Or here's what I can't give up. Or this is what I'm going for. I'm trying to get somewhere near here. Like you have to be the rudder. I cannot giving you notes, be the rudder. It makes me very nervous. I can start spitballing with you. There's a great quote on the Facebook page from William Goldman, love the spitball. I would love to spitball with you, but you're the rudder of the spitballing. Like, oh, I love that, Meg. I love, let's go towards that spitball or that's, go, no, no, not that spitball. I have to have that feedback or we're just going to, it's not going to give you the juice that you're looking for. Again, I'm looking to you to be the person who is, is, I don't know, leading it, being the boss of it, right? I do think though, just as a, another note, we all do need confirmation. And I do think, and I know this from the Patreon, when we do our story workshops, 
so much of, I find those story workshops is just looking for the confirmation of, is this a good idea? Which I think is valid. And I do too, by the way, I do with my friends. I do with P- Lorian, whoever you all need that. So I do think having a writer's group that you can be getting confirmation and feedback is important, especially let's say you're not in a community because you live a certain place that you can't find that community. There are Facebook groups forming all the time on our, on our Facebook our writers groups forming all the time on our Facebook group. Um, two just went up this week asking for if there anybody wanted to join. So that is, you do need confirmation. I would get it from other writers. It's why we go to Austin. It's why Austin exists. Austin exists so you can go to panels and have fun with us at the bar, but it really exists so you can meet other writers to start getting that confirmation from them. That's who you need to get the confirmation from. And yes, I will also say, Gail, it is true. Eventually, the marketplace has to give you confirmation. I think that's why people are going to contests. But I will tell you, contests are not always what marketplace is buying. So get the confirmation from the contest. It's a great feedback loop. But there is a whole other level of what the marketplace is buying, which changes constantly, changes constantly. So you eventually, when you have gotten confirmation from a writer's group, confirmation, another place's contest, however you want to get it, that you do get that agent or manager they are giving you confirmation that there's a place to sell this or not. But I will tell you this, the thing that got me the most work in my career, I would have not gotten that in confirmation from them. And they're very honest about it. They would have told me, don't, don't write this. So even then, even then, it's got to be about what drives you emotionally to write something because the marketplace will turn and find you if it's that hot and juicy. Okay. But validation certainly feels lovely. You just have oh, yeah. to be careful who you're, where you get it. Yeah, totally. You okay. are a writer. You have written a script you love, and you're looking like makes confirmation that it is that other people like it or not. Are you going to pay you or not? But you're still a writer no matter what. <laughs> All right, we got this anonymous question. It goes without saying, but I'm going to say it. I love my kids, but nothing can really prepare you for the all-consuming, always-on task of keeping another human being alive. (laughs) Yes, true. When my son was born, I would force myself to write after he went to bed until my eyelids got too heavy or the words stopped making sense. When he couldn't nap without some sort of parent-guided aid, I wrote many a page with my arms reached around him in the baby Bjorn or with my laptop wedged between my chest and the steering wheel while he snoozed in the idling car. Oh my God, you're so amazing. I became a pro at stealing every possible moment I could from my writing. Thing is though, there's no off switch on kids. What breaks you do get need to account for everything. Eating, sleeping, bills, exercise, social life, haha, and still absorbing enough culture to remain verdant as a writer. Since my daughter was born, it's been hard to find that space. It's been fucking hard would love your insights on how you maintain a creative brain while also having a mommy brain. I so admire what you have done while your kid, while your baby was sleeping. When I didn't do any of that shit, I was so tired. I could barely function, let alone have a creative brain. So I really admire the dedication to your writing that you've done. I mean, for me, it's about deciding, realizing whatever that I want to write. And that it is, um, I get to want things. And that there's a piece behind that if I need to write. Um, I don't I don't know. There's no such thing as balance, right? So I don't know how I maintain it. It's a constant struggle and conversation and management. And 
I think it's about being flexible too. Like I had this whole narrative in my head. Like I like to write from 3 p.m. to 8 p.m. But my daughter gets home from school at three and she goes to bed at 8.30. So how, what am I supposed to do? And a fellow mom said, maybe you try a different time and just make that work for yourself. And I was like, oh, right. I get attached to the, this is what works best for me. And then it's like, well, I, it doesn't actually work best for me. If I want to write, it's not going to work. So I have to figure something else out. I think it's about being flexible and making sure you you allow yourself to want something. I don't know. That's that's as much as I have. And maybe I should. Um, let me just say this other part of the question. What worries me most isn't even that I don't have time to write. It's that I don't not have time to play. I don't have time to daydream or take a wrong turn down an imagination rabbit hole. Everything in my life feels practical and immediate. Then when I do get to write, that time is under tremendous pressure. I can't dwaddle. I'm skipping exercises for this. My daughter could wake up any minute. And I do think that's very, very real. Um, And I think that's, you know, (laughs) honestly, my kids are now 20 years old and I still have this feeling of when I write, oh my God, I have to write. I don't have time. And I know to you and for you with young kids, it's exacerbated because, you know, you could be spending time with them instead. So um, the thing I will say to you, Anonymous, is those that playing is writing and the best writing will come out of the play. The best writing will come going down the imaginative rabbit hole that then you think, oh crap, this doesn't even go in my movie or TV show, but it does, but it does. I think the reason Pixar's movies are so great is because they go down so many of those imaginative rabbit holes that they don't use because it is layering and enriching it. So I would say your exercise is to allow a non-productive writing session at least twice a week. And just know, this is my non-productive writing session. I am not going to have anything out of this, but I have to do it because it's almost like grease in the wheels, right? It's it's fertilizer. You have to do it. And I feel like you really want to do it and you're asking for permission because you can feel that you want to do it. And I really admire and respect that it's a hard choice and I feel it too all the time. But the writing will come alive and be original and have voice if you allow yourself those two non-productive writing sessions a week and just give them to yourself is my advice. And just say, that's what I'm doing. Do it for a month, right? Just do it for a month and see your other writing when you go to it will go faster and be more interesting. So that's my advice. I also just want this person to keep writing because they're a great writer. Like I I tried to cut this question down, but I loved every sentence. And it makes me sad to think about you not writing because I think you're great. So I know you don't need validation, you need confirmation, but- You're confirming that you're a great writer who needs to find a way to keep writing. And I think you should write about this. I think whatever is going on in this post, you should be writing about, so. Awesome. Lauren, do you want to read the next one? Yeah. All right. Ryan asks, what script do you wish you'd written? And then Ashley asks, do you have a favorite script writer that you love to read? Well, I mean, the scripts I I wish I wrote are all the movies that I love. Amadeus, The Piano, um, uh, Blue. uh, I mean, just my list of favorite uh, movies would be the scripts I wish I wrote. They're scripts I love, but I know I never could have written them, if that makes sense. Like, 
it's just not my voice. It's not my thing. It's not the way my brain works. Um, you know, there's TV shows, Fleabag, uh, you know, but there's shows I watch or things that I do that like, I love the great. I just love it so much, but I could never have written that. It's so him. It's so not, I'm not a, a satiric writing writer. Um, and in terms of favorite script writers, I don't have a ton of time right now to do that. Um, and, but I will tell you that when I was coming up in the industry as an executive, I loved to read Richard Legravenet's. I just loved him on the page. I loved reading Tony Gilroy on the page. Um, and what I find I like to do is if I loved a movie, going and reading the script or maybe finding, you know, what are the five movies that really are with a comp for your movie? Go read them. Or if you're having trouble writing an action sequence, go write the best writers of action sequences, right? And how do they, how does that lay out on the page? I'm talking about the actual scripts, not the kind of dictated, somebody wrote it as they watched. I'm talking about the real scripts, which you can get now. Um, I don't think you can, I don't think there's scripts you can read that won't be helpful. Uh, but the scripts that I love um, are, you know, All About Eve. Again, what I wish I'd written, All About Eve, Philadelphia Story, My Man Godfrey. And I once spent a whole weekend while I was in graduate, after I was in graduate school, I watched all three of these movies like in one day. And the next morning I wrote up, I got up and I wrote a play. That was a sort of an homage to these, like a drawing room, romp, lots of, dialogue, lots of quips, you know, and so I think uh, that, so, you know, I loved them when they were plays and then I loved them when they're movies and I love adaptation in that way to read the play, to watch the movie, to read the movie script. Um, but again, there are all these old dialogue-y, fast moving, uh, fun things that I love, which is, you know, how I like to write when I went theater. So Anyway, yeah, fine, fine. Great. Now I'm directing and writing a one-woman play. Whatever. Blah, okay. blah, blah. Perfect. Good. Okay. Formatting questions. Anne asks, how do how does writing uh live action and animation differ? If we're talking about formatting on the page, it doesn't at all. It literally looks like a regular live action feature script. I will just tell you that it has to be all stuff you can draw and stuff that would be fun to draw. It's not people talking because you know, drawing lips moving and animating lips moving is not gonna be fun. So it's all about world. It's all about, uh, you know, action and being active. Uh, and Jake asked, I read a very long- I have, I have one note about the animation script. Okay. Um, just because you're writing animation doesn't mean you can write 40 sets. When you're writing an animated TV show, it's like a sitcom. You're going to be writing like five or six set pieces and a swing in each episode, right? It costs a lot of money to build a set, just like in live action. Same thing with a, a feature, right? That that That- Yes, let your imagination run wild in a feature, but in a TV show, really think about the sets you're using. You can't be like, they go here, they go here, they do this, they go this, they go this, because it's you can't afford, you can't, nobody can make that. Lauren I read gave me this note, by the way. I got this note from Lauren because I pitched her a TV show I wanted to do. And she was like, oh my God, it's so good. And no one will ever make that because it's <laughs> a new world every, every show. They're never going to do it. And I was like, okay, that show's done. Yeah. Sorry, I crushed your dreams. You crushed my dreams. No, it was yeah. realistic. Unless you, unless you are imagining a funny or a sorry, a clever uh, way to do it, like uh, with colors or you know shapes or some really evocative animation way to define those worlds in a way that won't be building a whole set. And if you have an animation script, I do think you're going to want to pay 
I know, I'm sorry, someone to draw the characters or give some sense of visual because it's so, it's such a visual based. Uh, Higher character designers don't use mid journey. Just okay. going to say it. <laughs> okay. Jane asked, I read a very long thread recently that what seems a stylistic change, top writers are omitting fade in and fade out. Is that a thing? I've never written fade in or fade out on a script. So I can't tell you never in my life. If I, maybe when I was writing it on a TV show, we did. But honestly, I have no memory of doing it because I don't. That's all I can no. say. Interior, dining room, day, bam, you start. Yeah, I don't go yeah. in. Just go. And in. then end of pilot at the end of the TV show. <laughs> yeah, end of pilot. You're done. I think long argument threads about formatting specifics are people not writing almost always. So yeah, you're avoiding your writing. That means love is really close. So congratulations. You're scared. Quick, go write. Go write. Jake, Start with fade in or not. We don't care. We don't care. Do something. Jake also asked more white space or lower page count is pushing that 120 page count going to ding me more. Or would an easier read by spacing things out more be the superior way to go? Jake, both. I'm sorry. This is called life. We have to turn in scripts that have they're easy to read, quick to read, lots of white space in terms of not crunching down. And they're 110 pages, maybe 115. When you start moving over 115, people's eyeballs are going to go back in their head. It is no longer 120. I'm sorry to say. This is for features, obviously. Now, listen, if your script is humming and so fucking good, they aren't going to care how long it is in terms of it could be 120. They'll care if it's over 120. But if it's on that, they won't care. So that always goes to every formatting thing. If it's amazing, nobody cares about any of this. Okay. But uh, yeah, I'm. I, it has to be both, Jake. Sorry. That's but get I will the say, out of your script. If you're over, just go through and get all the widows out of your script. Whenever, whenever I get a script to read, I immediately look at how long it is. And if it's over 110 pages, I'm already annoyed when I start reading it. No, me too. I have to be honest. Yeah. I do. And if it's I'm over trying to figure out how long pages. it takes me to read it. And yes. yeah, it's just, you know, if it's 105, I'm like, yeah, awesome. 110. Yeah, then I'm like, oh, I'll read this right now. I'm going to blaze through this. Right. right. So you're, you're, you're communicating something with your page length and you don't even know it. But I will also say if it's amazing, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter how long it is if I am clipping along and I'm in emotionally and I can't wait to turn the page and I don't know what's going to happen. It doesn't matter how long it is in terms of that. But that, you know, that's the that's the gold ring uh, on the fair on the Ferris wheel or merry ground or whatever the fuck that is. Okay. How to break in and get noticed. Wes asks, although I began exploring screenwriting 20 years ago, I was also raising four children and taking care of a sick wife during this time. He was able to write four scripts and 30 short scripts, but now he's in his 50s and wondering if a producer would assume that, you know, if I haven't had major success, there's no point. And my answer is, honestly, from my heart, Wes, if they love it, they don't care. They just don't <laughs> care. It's all about, yes, I mean, don't don't in your cover letter say I'm a, a past 50 year old man, blah, 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 unless that's relevant to why you are the only person who could have written this, then tell them. Otherwise, it's not their business. And just go for it, Wes. You you might be exactly what people are looking for. I think the guy and I could be wrong. I think the guy who wrote High School Musical was in his 50s and kind of doing a comeback. Does anybody care? No, nobody cares. They made a ton of money and they're still making tons of money off of it. So um, 
listen, if you're writing hard to make indie films and you want to direct them, no, that's still, I'm, I, I, because even then it's as hard as it's going to be. If you're 20, it doesn't matter. It's the same level of hard. If anything, they might think, oh, you have life experience. You could actually do this. Uh, so Wes, go for it. No, I think to everybody, try to stop creating reasons why people are going to reject you before you've even put yourself out there. That is our quote going on our Instagram. That is so good, Lorian. I even get it though, because I do it all day long. My brain is really good at it, you guys. You're not alone in that. I mean, I'm saying this out loud to myself. I know, which I'm going to say right back to you, but that's okay. Because you know, it's like, look for validation. Don't look for validation, look for confirmation. Meanwhile, I'm over here like freaking out about (laughs) something. I mean, these are things that we're at. Everything we talk about, you know, is something we've ever done or are actively running in circles around the maze, right? It's not like we've achieved. We have the... The intellectual, I have the intellectual capacity to understand this, but still, you know, it's all a struggle for all of us. All right. So Jake asked, let's say hypothetically, I've just completed a spec sample feature and I don't know anyone after the strikes over and things are the, back to normal. What should I do with it? Whose hands should I be trying to get it into? Are contests all that there is? Well, contests, especially the big ones like um, the academies, the nickels. They do, they do, people will try to f- seek you out and talk to you. And so there is relevance there. Um, I think that D- Joey Tuccio's um, the, uh, company, Roadmap oh. Writers, is a really good place because it's not just having a script, right? First of all, you have to have more than one because as soon as you have one, you're going to, got. Uh, what if you got to meet a rep? How great. And then they're going to say, but I can't sell this one. So what else do you have, right? And they're going to want to know that you're not a one hit wonder. So you need to have at least two scripts, not completely divergent in genre, but I could, you're a package that we could brand, we get you. So you need to have at least two. So start on your another one. Once you've got two or you think you're ready to sell yourself, you have to figure out how to sell yourself. What is your branding? What are, is your agent going to sell you as? That's what Roadmap Writers is really, really good at. They're really good at teaching you how to pitch yourself, what is special about you, why are you somebody, the only person that could tell these stories, all of that kind of stuff, super great. So there's a lot of other things to do other than just have one script, which I'm assuming you've rewritten many, many times and you've gotten great feedback and people are telling you ready to go. So that's there's a lot of work to do before you're even going to be ready to go in front of a manager or an agent um, for your own sake, right? And knowing what kind of career you want, Um what do you want an agent or a manager to do? What kind of things do you want to write? What kind of things do you want to rewrite? So that's all the kind of thinking that has to happen next. Tell everyone I'm a writer. I've written a screenplay, right? Uh, get it out there, right? You say you don't know anyone, but does, you know, that's how you connect with people to know people. Put yourself out there in a really basic way. I wrote a screenplay. I'm a writer. Find a community somehow. And Jack asked about, would you advise people to make their own um, things to get a flavor of the whole production cycle? And would you say that they will help them become better writers? One billion percent. If you can't, if you're not that kind of person who's a producer and is going to, you know, get your own short up or feature up, that's not every writer's wheelhouse. That's okay. Get yourself on a set of somebody else's. Watch it. Learn, go and in, get into an edit room. I don't even care if it's a student film. Who cares? 
Like go to the local college. There's somebody making a movie. They're going to need somebody to do craft service or something. Just get out there, get on a set to learn what an actor needs. Take an acting class. Um, get it in an edit room. All of that is going to make you a better writer. I think I'm the writer I am because I was a producer, because I did all of that and I understand it uh, on a deep way. So yes, I would say make your own. And if you that's not who you are, go get yourself on a set. I also bet you have an iPhone and I'm just going to challenge everyone. You can do this for $0. And like, I think every one of our listeners has a smartphone. Um, it's hard. I'm talking to myself right now, but there kind of is no excuse if you want to make something to not give it a shot, even if it's terrible. In fact, you'll learn more if it 's So, and my son just did this, uh, 48 hour film festival uh, in LA. And I think they have them all over the country and all over the world. And, um, now he's in film school. So, you know, it was him and a bunch of buddies and he, his his friend, she was the director. Um, boy, they learned a lot, really, really fast. And you know, like they forgot the doorbell sound and all kinds of stuff because you're doing it so fast. And you know, he had to write the music. It was crazy. It was insane. But they did so well, and they learned, like the like Lorian said at the top of the show, what they loved about the process and what they. It's such a rip the blinders off process. Um, and it was just fun. It's just fun. You guys, it's just, it's just silly fun. And it's only going to be like 48 hours of your life. So there's all different ways to do this and have a good time while you're doing it. So Corey asks, um, I'm an independent filmmaker who directs my own scripts out of curiosity. Would you recommend beginning my writing process with budget in mind and using that as a creative restriction or since it's so early in the process, should I see where the story takes itself and try not to censor the ideas? Do you feel one would lend itself to more authentic exploration and inviting the lava? I think you know the answer to this, which is the beginning of the writing process. Don't put restrictions on your place because yes, on yourself, because yes, it will lend itself to more authentic exploration and invite the lava in. Ta-da, ding, ding. Yes, just go for it. Just have fun. I mean, listen, if you're like absolutely going to write something in one location, well, it's one location and just have fun and keep it in one location. But other than that, no, just truly go have fun and see where it goes. And maybe it's going to turn into much bigger and it's like, oh my God, I can't shoot this, but somebody's going to buy it because it's so amazing. Like just, just let your imagination go. Okay. Allison asks, I always want to know how to do what is necessary to strengthen and tighten a script whilst not losing some of the impulsive magic that comes in the early drafts. Maybe it's just the way I write, but often I'll get the note in rewrites that the reader misses something from a first draft that I felt was necessary to cut because I know more about the character's journey in subsequent drafts. First of all, let me say, Allison, every single creative I have ever come into contact with in this business, be they super duper multi-academy award-winning people or emerging writers, this is their question. Like it is the process. And I can't tell you how many brain trusts at Pixar I've been in where they had to start it by saying, okay, this has gone backwards. It going backwards is part of the process. So just as an overall umbrella idea, it's not that you're doing it wrong that this happens. It's not that you should have done something else. You're going to try things and you're going to lose things. And that is part of the process. So first, just we're all good. We're all going to do this in terms of so you're never not going to do it, first of all. Second of all, I would say if you're going if you're going down to the story engine, 
and really rewriting and not noodling around, this problem doesn't happen as often. It does happen sometimes because you take such a big shift in your story engine that you need to, you realize, shit, I got to go back because I changed the engine too much. But I, I always want you to make big changes, uh, big, big changes. And what I do personally is I re-outline based on the big engine notes to the what the show is now. Did I change the world? Did I change the tone? Did I change the main character? Did I change the main relationship? Did I up the conflict? Did I up the stakes? I go to all those big things and then I re-outline and then I forget it all and I go back to the magic, right? So it's for me, it's a constant teeter-totter of intellect and outlining and getting notes and then forgetting it and letting the dreamer part of me come in so that the magic continues to happen every draft. Because yes, that magic that happened in act one oddly might have to go because it's not a solid story engine, but there's more magic. There's more magic coming. That's even more magical, even better. So I just trust that the dreamer will keep bringing magic to me. And if I truly go backwards and feel like I lost it, or I took too many notes, or I lost my way because I cared more about the notes than my inner gut and what I loved, then I then I go again. Then I just go again, and I take parts back, and I and I re I reshuffle and I re outline and I go again. Okay, Lauren. Let's, let's be careful uh, that this is coming from you and not the notes and outside people's opinions. You can get over noted. And then you stop and realize, I don't know what this is anymore. I've lost the magic because you've let too many notes in and you're fixing small things, fixing small things, taking things out, rearranging, moving to satisfy someone who you respect, someone's notes. Uh, so again, like what Meg is talking about is going back to the big pieces, her version how she wants to write it, what she's trying to say. Notes should help you get to the heart of what you want to say, what the character story is, what they're telling you, and not pleasing someone else when you turn the script over. And I will say on the other side of that, because we've had this on the Patreon and I've had it in personal consultation things, sometimes there's a much bigger story sitting right there it is so big it is so juicy and the poor writer's brain is so afraid of it that they're clinging to this tiny little thing as some sort of life raft and i'm like oh my god don't you see this amazing movie it's right there i don't know exactly how it works but it's so interesting and i know i can feel they want to do it but they're so afraid of the size of it or the scope of it or that they don't have the chops and i always just want you to try you don't you know just try a, some scenes just see what happens when you let the character and the dreamer go in that direction right because we can so be so worried about holding on to the magic we have that is literally a, a you know a fingerful of the ocean that's waiting for you so just be careful about that too right so it can be both. It can be all the way to the side of you lost the magic because you got overnoted and you need to go back and find her. You left her behind because people wanted logic instead of emotion and you logicked her out of the movie or the TV show. Absolutely go back and get her 100%. And or maybe there's a much bigger thing sitting right 
on your shoulder and we can see it. Try it. What's the worst thing that's going to happen? What's the worst thing? Try it. Right. Go back and write some more. Right. Everybody. Yes, our answer to every one of these questions is right. Go, right. Go, Go right. right. That is our answer. Go right. Yes. Go right. Um, any of the tips or the tricks we've used. So like all the advice we've given, all the advice everybody else gets, gives you the notes, but like trust yourself, trust your voice, sit down and write. Because it's quantity, people. It's quantity. How many pages a day can you get out? How many scripts can you write? It is quantity. Thanks, everyone, for tuning into the Screenwriting Life. And we really hope to see you at the Austin Film Festival. And come to our final draft party. It's going to be awesome. Yes. And remember, you are not alone. And keep writing.